Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Finding Backcountry podcast. I've got the man back on, Brady Miller. How you doing, buddy? Oh, hanging in there. Another day. Another day. So... Do you know what episode this is? This is, or this is going to be? Do you, oh, is it the? Is, you, it, is it the? Is it the big one? Well, not. I mean, yes, but do you? What? Let's back up. Who was my first guest that ever came on this podcast? I believe this was a guy named uh, Brady Miller. He uh, does some crazy hunts every now and then. Yep, Brady Miller, and that was. Just over a hundred episodes ago. Oh so, snap! Time flies, man. Bro, it well, not when you're as inconsistent as I am. Um, <laughs> I most guys have a hundred episodes out in a year. <laughs> I hey, man, took, going, you're, going, you're going for quality, you know, <laughs> quality. Yeah, 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 and which explains why I've circled back to the. I only have a hundred good guests, you know, like. I've hit the top 100, and I'm right back starting. So you're number, you're 101, man. Dang, that's, that's hey, I was one, and now 101. I'll definitely, you know, take that. How long do you think I? With it. How long do you think I could keep it going? Just circle back and before someone realizes I'm just going back through all the same guests. Just start releasing the same podcast and change the numbers <laughs> of them. Yeah. That's how SEO works, you know. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There, you know, I thought about that, and if I had a team of more than one. Um, and that one knew anything about editing, really, I would go back through, there's some really good stuff that would, you know, pull out as just like a little, um, you know, just like a mini episode or something like that. But yeah, like one of those big highlight ones. I'm, I'm, there's, there's so many gems when you, yeah, if you went back through them all, my gosh, everyone needs to do that. This is, I technically haven't. At the record at the time of this recording, I'll I'll have gone back and I'll do another um, I'll do the one hundredth. So, mm-hmm. you know that's I don't know what I'll do. Just do a probably a boring solo one or something. But yeah, man, um, super super fun. Always love chatting backcountry stuff and hunting and um, yeah, you were you were the first. So, man, this is a good time to say thank you for uh, coming back on and always being willing to uh to bs with me about this kind of stuff hey i think we're two of the best liars around you know so we can <laughs> we can totally just go off the deep end on some rabbit holes and see where see what sticks at the end yeah well you're <clears throat> you're an actual knowledge source i just start a podcast and interview other people um for their expertise <laughs> so but uh i think it's gonna be, think it's gonna be fun yeah you're uh, down in my old neck of the woods. How's the? You guys get any moisture this year? Is it going to be a better year? Uh, I actually just saw a storm rolling through this evening. I walked outside and I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's super windy!" And over on the mountains on the west side of town, it is 
pitch black and i'm like i'm hoping it spits down a ton of rain yeah we need it badly it's just like everywhere it's it's so sad to see like even you know the other week up in uh salt lake at the expo i was like my gosh you need some more snow up there as well yeah yeah this is this is the time of year you know when if we don't get um the right amount then it's bad and if we get too much then it's you know it can go south pretty quick but yeah, this is definitely the time of year. Like, I'm just like, yeah, concerned about mule deer or concerned about water or too much water. It's like, yeah. it's a double-edged sword right now, but we need a lot of moisture. Well, I just saw somebody posted, they woke up there in the, somewhere in the Utah or Salt Lake Valley, and they all of a sudden they had three inches last night or something. So it's... There, there we go. It's, there yeah, we go. Yeah, it's been coming, but we're we're having up here in Wyoming, we're having what I call a California breaker week. Keep those Californians out, how cold it is and windy. That's exactly right. Everybody wants to move from out of town here in the summer. About two times a year, we get here specifically in northwest Wyoming. I'm sure all of Wyoming, but up here where we're at, about two two times a winter, we get a solid week or so of just the absolute, like, make you question your existence up here. Um, you know, the high, the high is one and the lows, you know, negative 15 and the wind chills and, you know, negative 35 and just, we're having one of those nights right now. So it, I, 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 I say you keep that up because, you know, no one should move there. Yes. There's also, there's also no deer in Wyoming. I've never even heard of a deer living there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's just, it's just a place you, you work. You know? Exactly. Uh, Wyoming's not real, basically. No, it's not a real place. Yeah, we can make t-shirts, but yeah, um, who knows? Maybe some of these Californians will decide to pick up and leave, and maybe they won't. But um, yeah, anyway, it's you get used to it. No big deal up here. So yeah, I'm just disappointed right now. We're in that stage in Vegas where it starts getting really windy and every weekend I'm like, I should pick up my rifle and do some load development, trust out some new stuff. And I'm like, Oh yeah. 15, 20, 20 mile an hour winds, you know, I guess it's good to practice in it, but I'd rather have some calm days here or there. Yeah. It's hard to uh, verify load accuracy and all that kind of stuff when it's blowing too hard. Yeah. The old 300 wind mag. Oh, she can just bark. I bet. What? Uh, I, did, I did pick up a 300 rum, but I haven't done any <laughs> testing. It's just so hard to find bullets right now. I have every other component I can need except some bullets. Yeah. I am in the middle of a big uh, 300 Norma build. When I say in the middle, I'm gathering components. Kind of kind of going off script from work and just doing a, you know, kind of a... Because we don't, we don't even... I wanted a 300 Norma because why? I don't know. Um, but of course it's a cartridge that we don't chamber. Um, not, we, we'll chamber it. We don't have an action. We don't have any of our standard line actions that have a big enough bolt face for it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm using somebody else's action and, um, you know, carbon barrel, one of our barrels, but, um, and then I'm going to put it on a little chassis and I've got some crazy idea to do this, you know, relatively lightweight, like, you know, 10 or 11 pound, 300 freaking Norma um, with a big old long barrel, but I'm going to put a little folding chassis stock on it so I can 
Oh yeah, that's gonna crush the mountains. Yeah, it'll be a Brady Miller special, and uh, I, I do dig those those foldable chassis. Like that is something cool because it was sticking out your backpack. You're not gonna bang it on a bunch of brush. And well, and I'm I'm totally gonna offset that though with the barrel length. I'm running a 26 inch barrel, and then I think I think I'm gonna throw an eight inch can on it. <laughs> there you go. There so you go. any any yeah. inches I I won by folding my stock, I've completely lost. Um, but that's the point, right? Is like just enough that I can tolerate it, and then once I unfold that thing, then I've got a monster on my hands. Oh yeah, um, big big guns take lives. That's hey, that's what I like to say. And you know what? They take them from a long ways away if you if you know how to do it. Um, that's very true. Six five Creedmoors aren't shooting elk at you know they shouldn't be shooting elk at eleven hundred yards. So no, I every day I get a kick of all these little things I see on Instagram <laughs> about Hill Creedmoor. <laughs> I just can't help but laugh and just screenshot them and put them in a little folder. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Um, well, cool, man. I, you know, the so the point of this, and I don't even remember what we talked about the first time. I'm sure it was something like this: backcountry gear or applications, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, which of course, right? That's kind of your um, right in your wheelhouse is either you know, where, where should we apply or what gear should we take with us if we're going in the backcountry? So that's kind of what I threw out to the masses is just, um, you know, some backcountry gear questions and stuff like that. Got a few, a lot of food ones, a lot of, um, uh, optics and stuff like that. And then some, uh, clothing and stuff like that. It's kind of probably the three, the three major ones. Food's always a big one, obviously, but Oh yeah, yeah. Gear can get down a rabbit hole really quickly, but it's something fun to talk about, and it's always good to plan and dream and check out all the yeah. new stuff that comes out. What What do you um? You always do a backcountry hunt at least one every year, yeah. Like, what do you got on the docket this year? Do you know? So yeah, this year so far, so the only thing I got for sure is that Idaho general season over the counter mule deer tag. Mm-hmm. So usually that's you know that month of October when things are kind of tough, but. You know, at that time of year, to me, it's all about just getting away from people. Even the places I'm at, it's pretty remote. But it's like, it's kind of hard to say because my gear list has evolved so much over the years. Like back in the day, I definitely was an absolute ounce counter, which I still am. But it's kind of changed a little bit. Back in the day, I would get made fun of all the time. Like, oh, yeah, you don't need to have the lighter weight gear. Just get stronger. And I'm like, okay, I get that, but I can go lighter and faster. And now people are making fun of me because my gear is still kind of lightweight, but it's leaning more towards the heavy side in a lot of things. So I, I can't win either way because now, you know, the guys are like, oh, yeah, no, your gear is way too heavy. And it's like, well, yeah. I can't kill what I can't find, and I like a big heavy weapon. So, like, I carry a lot of optic weight. <laughs> I upgraded to that, you know, Swarovski BTX set up with 115. That you backpack with? <laughs> backpack with yeah i actually just took it last i took it last year scouting a bunch i did take on a few hunts but down the one idaho backcountry hunt last year I, I switched it over to the atx i pieced it to save a little bit of of uh you know weight but you're packing the 115 the 115 is the eyes of god i can yeah. see through the mountains <laughs> and beyond it Brady. like there's no there's no chance anything's gonna get by me well so here's my question right off and there's there's a couple um optics specific questions that i'm going to pin you on while we're on this topic but like what are you really picking up with be honest with me like what do you i've looked through the 115s and it is it is like it is literally the eye of mordor like you can see everything from everywhere but it's like what are you picking up with that that say a 95 or even an 85 wouldn't 
also pick up? You know, that's, that's something I was weighing around for a lot. So it was like, I can't remember what it was, two years ago, I decided to start looking into, you know, the dual eyepiece game. You know, I was checking out some koas, checking out other things, borrowing different pieces of optics. And I did borrow. So I finally decided I was going to go with the BTX, first of all. So I wanted the BTX eyepiece. And then, like I said, a subjective. Which one do I want to go with? And the 115 had been out for like a year. So I bought, actually borrowed an 85, put it on my BTX, loved it, super lightweight, a little more compact. I can fit it in my backpack easier. Still a hefty, still a hefty girl though. I mean the still B, very, the BTX with the eighty five is no, it's what no, no joke at all. <laughs> Four or five pounds, and, and that's what the hardest part too, because like the larger everything gets with the BTX, especially like it's bigger, hard to fit in your backpack comfortably. Well, and the bigger your tripod has to get, right? Yep, and yeah. you have to, like any little wind on a lightweight tripod, you can see it. Yeah. So, so after using eighty five, and I finally borrowed a ninety five and started using that a lot, and then I was I was sold on the ninety five, like absolutely sold. I was like, I don't need to go bigger. 95 will be perfect. You know, then I started talking to some other guys and I never actually looked through them, but I was like, the thing that they kept telling me and the thing I could think of in my head is why not start at the, start at the top? So I'm starting over, you know, go with the 115. Eventually, if I want to save some weight or do a different setup, I could get the 85. If I start in the middle at 95, the 85 is pretty, they're very similar to each other. I don't want to drop down any smaller than that. Yeah. And so then they were like, also, like, you just, what if you have these situations where you are doing some crazy extreme long range glassing? I see a buck super far away and it's low light and it's hard to pick up, or I might be able to pick it up with a 115, even though I can't hunt it that night, but I can make a plan the next day, like, wow, I saw this big frame buck. I can tell what it was with that little bit of light gathering. Maybe that is the ticket. They then could help me kill that buck the next day if it was something big. There's no doubt that Swarovski made that 115 like purely with the business model of we're just going to sell it to guys' egos. Like we're just exactly, exactly. You're, you're you're definitely compensating yeah. when you get something that big. It's, <laughs> it's so, always my like, it's random so... mindset. Like it's it's going to help me a little bit, but yeah, it just looks silly. And you pull out your backpack, and anyone you're hunting with is like, "What the heck is that next to you?" See, because now the the BTX side, like like no brainer, right? And I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, cause I'm like now, so I just picked up a pair of NL pure 12s, right? Yep. And they're incredible. Like they basically did exactly what I predicted that they would do. And that is they, they took care of everything that a pair of my 15s would have picked up and they're my 10 powers on my chest. Right. And mm-hmm. so I, I plop down, I put them on a tripod. They, they magically turn into 15s. And then when they're on my chest, they're 10s. And exactly. They're, they're so small too in your hand. They just, they're like, they just fit well. Right. Like everything about them are, are so sweet. Yep. Huge package and a little in a, or huge punch in a little package. And so now though, I'm, I'm always going to pack a spotter like you, right? Like seeing things far away, picking up detail on a buck where I'm not sure if I want to go over there or whatever. And so what I had is I had the 85 with the ATX, like the definition of what you just said, like right in the middle. And what I was thinking, cause I do want to get the BTX like there, it is, it's just a different glassing experience. Now I will say, and back me up on this. Like if you're on a hunt where, I don't know, let's say you're on like the Henry mountains or some, something where inches would matter really, or you know, I don't know, even a sheep hunt though, that BTX, like it, you'd be able to get close enough to, but it, the the point is like that BTX where you can't zoom in, 
right? It's like if you're really trying to to like zoom in on something and pick it apart, like it, right? I mean, you, do you feel that where you feel a little bit limited, or do you feel like it? No, I, you, what you said right there is absolutely spot on, and that's why. So at first, I just picked up the BTX and the eyepiece, and then eventually, I was like, man, I kind of wish I had the ATX as well because it is so nice to be able to zoom. You can pick up the details. Like, like you said, if you are on a sheep hunt or deer hunt or inches or everything on it, like you want that zoom because you're never in the perfect position where, yeah, that 30 or 35 power on the BTX is going to be great. Because sometimes I've even had a situation where it's too much zoom, you know, tight canyons, <laughs> yeah. looking at 30, 35 power the whole time. <laughs> it's like, my gosh, I can't see anything. It's hard to find the animal. So it's only really good for extreme long range. Or if I'm sitting down, I see a buck bed and I just want to watch him for a while, see what he does. But like, having that ATX option where I can zoom in. And then also it's really good too. When like you're doing digiscope, like the ATX is so much easier to use for digiscoping and the BTX. BTX is kind of a little wonky. How you have to like, put yeah. the adapter, put the mount on there and try to get it. And then again, you have no zoom control. So you're at the mercy of what it is, but it's like, yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to get to the point where I'm going to carry both of them on the hunt because my gosh, I have to have some, some llamas to actually pack all those optics. And so I can carry ATX, BTX, 115, you know, and then some twelves. Like it gets a little crazy, but yeah, no, yeah, there's and... definitely pro. There's pros and cons, but like you sit down with the two eyes to that BTX and thirty-five power feels like it's a lot more power. It's yep. hard to describe, yep. but it feels like you have a lot more there. Yeah, and I'm I'm not I'm not condemning you for having the one fifteen because man, I would love to get my hands on a one fifteen. But man, like if I'm just hardcore like backpacking in for a week and no and no pack llamas or something like he said, like whew, you're a bigger man than me. I wouldn't be thrown that every, every time you pick up that stupid backpack, you're like, Wow, <laughs> what what is it you did? Did someone drop a, a boulder in there? My gosh. <laughs> oh man. Well, th- there's a couple of good questions that I also um will tie right into this. Um guy with the handle Yukon man. So What's your opinion uh, when someone asks you, should I, like, guys on a budget, right? This, this question is the budget question. And what he's asking is, should I get mid to high range quality binos and a cheap spotter? Or should I get a high quality spotter with low to mid grade binos? Okay, this is a perfect question. I love this one. So I actually get this one quite a bit. And actually one of the guys over in customer service today walked over and asked me this exact same question. Me personally, I would rather spend way more money on a spawning scope Ooh. than than binos. So I get a question a lot, like Brady, you run vortex binos. You always have run vortex binos forever. You know why do you do that? And to me, like my eyes personally, it's hard for me to tell the difference between my binos and you know someone else's binos. Like my dad has swaros, so I put them next to each other. Obviously, swaros are very very crisp and clear. But to me, I'd rather save that money and put it towards a big spotter because the spotter is going to be my workhorse. The spotter is what I use a lot during the middle of the day, picking apart shadows, picking apart dark little objects. Is that a, is that a tree branch moving in the wind or is that actually an antler tying of a deer? You know, that's just that subtle detail. And yeah, I could get those from an awesome pair of 12s probably, but I'm going to see a little more detail with the spotter and just be able to dive right in on it. And I think the spotter to me, like I do glass on my spotter constantly. That's why I was, I want double eyes. I want the BTX because I'm picking apart terrain. Like I, I feel like that's that's me gaining an advantage over someone else who might be hunting the same general basin or the basin behind me or whatever. I want to pick up something before anyone else sees something. So to me, the spotter 
That's why I feel like I can gain a bigger advantage by putting my money towards a spotter. Because, yeah, vinyls are going to be great, but there's so many good vinyls nowadays, but I don't think you yeah. can touch what Soro is doing with their spotting scope. It is just absolutely phenomenal. I've, you know, I do have some, you know, Zeiss 10 by 42 SF binos. They literally sit in my closet all the time <laughs> because I just, you know, like, yeah, they're great and all, but I'm so used to how the Vortex functions. You know, it's a cheaper price point. So I think a lot of people are going to get into it and then save your pennies for the spotter because like I said, spotter can help you in so many different situations. And you might be hunting one certain terrain that spotter is not the best for, but later on to move to something else that like, wow, I'm glad I had the spotter. I was able to pick up that buck at a crazy distance. Saw his frame. Saw he's actually worth going after. Cause I've been on some hunts way back in the day where I had, I don't even know what it was. My dad had some like old, old spine scope. just like crazy old. I still have it uh, to this day. It's my, in my uh, reloading room, but like I got deceived by a buck. I thought it was a really good deer. And I made a big effort, hiked all around this big basin, got over it. I was like, wow, this deer's not the same that I thought he was because I just didn't have the zoom power on the spotter. And it was so blurry. And to my binos, it obviously looked giant too. But once I got over it, I was like, man, if I had a better spotter right now, I could have saved my legs energy. I probably blew up a bunch of deer and, you know, put all my scent everywhere. I was hiking over there. And then now I had to either decide to stay there or relocate back to my main glassing point. Yeah. Well, I think, <clears throat> I think you've turned me, man. I, uh, like I've heard this asked to a few other people and, and even in my head, I would always think, man, like better binos. Cause you know, that's what you, you do use them more. You use, you definitely use binos more, but yeah. But if you, if you think about what you just said, like here, here's the two points that you made that I want to pull from there. Um, I, I think is what you made. One is bino quality has blown up in the last 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. Like these like five to thousand dollar binos are pretty incredible, man. Like glass, glass in general, these, those, what we used to call mid tier stuff, right? Vortex and Leupold's and Nikon and, you know, Mavens yep. and all these that are in that kind of second tier from the big three, right? Leica, Zeiss and Soro. They were so much further behind 10 years ago. And now like, you know, instead of being seven out of tens and swirls were 10 out of tens, now they're like eight and a half, nine and a half out of tens. Like they're like right there, right? They're like 8.9s out of tens. Um, and so, like you said, the quality that you can get, I agree with that. Um, and then the other thing too, that I think interpreting what you're saying about the spotters is like, man, if you're looking through, especially if it's a single eyepiece like the ATX, and you are sitting there glassing all day through a piece of crap spotter, bro. Oh, that like headache. <laughs> headache, man. Like just your eyes fatigued and your headache and like it can ruin everything real quick. And like you said, I mean, you know, that first like hour in the morning, it's fun to pull out the, the binos and see the deer popping, you know, especially like early in the summer, right? Where they're real easy to pick up and you're just like, boom, boom, boom. There's some, oh, there's, you know, and you're, you're finding them all. But then what do you do? you go to the spotter and you dig in and then the day gets hot and long. And then you're like, okay, now I'm digging into grind right here. I've got, you know, 270 degrees or whatever that I can spot. And you're digging in with that spotter. If you're, if you're doing it right in the right, in this type of country, in the back country, you might sit there and glass for what Brady, two, three, four, all day hours. All, like, all day. Yeah. And, that, and like, like I said, like I've, you know, being a rifle guy now, like most of those rifle hunts, they're in October. When deer are timbered up, deer don't, are not moving around as much. They're not, like you said, out in the, 
the bats were heard in the summer, nice and easy to see. That coast is shining. You're having to dig these deer out of the t- dig the deer out of the timber. And the way I feel like I do it is, like I said, picking up those shadows. It's like yeah. dissecting everything with that spotter. And, and yeah, I fatigue. Like if you go on a hunt with the cheap spotter and sit there for a while, you will understand what I fatigue is. And it is not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. Better yeah. have a lot of Advil. Nikon ED50 or whatever it was. We had, we bought, that was like our first like lightweight backcountry spotting scope, like probably 15 years ago. That little tiny, like the thing couldn't have weighed a pound. And man, we just thought it was the best thing ever because it was so light and you get back there and you're just like, look, you felt like you're looking through a, um, like a big pen, right? Like the tube was so small and then you're just like strain and even like focus on anything. And it just was like, this is stupid, man. It's not even worth packing around. Um, you know, and there's, so, yeah. there's a little, there's a little caveat here to this too. I want to throw out there. So like, even though we're talking about some of the best of the best optics, sometimes too, I like to tell people it's like buying the best, most top of the line gear doesn't instantly make you a better hunter by any means. <laughs> what? There's still a learning curve to this. So wait, it's like, wait, what? I know, right? It's a weird, weird thought. Every year, new gear comes out. Oh, I gotta have that. I gotta have that new bow. Gotta have this new lightweight tent. This new sleeping bag has this different type of down in it. Doesn't instantly make you a better hunter. Like I, you could probably give someone a Swaro spotting scope. And I don't know if they'd instantly have a better experience in the mountains. Yeah, it's going to be better under eyes, but still how you have to work the tool. There's still a learning curve behind it. Wouldn't that and be, so wouldn't that be a great go hunt, uh, YouTube series? Like you grab, you grab a handful of guys that like have been doing this their whole life. Right. And they're, and they're pretty dialed and you cripple them by only giving them like 15 or 20 year old or 30 year old gear. Like they have to hunt in Walmart camo and you know, they, yep. they have to, they can only spend, you know, $200 on a pair of binos and like their bow has to be 20 years old or more. And then just like, see who can go get it done that way. You know what I mean? Okay. That, that, would, that would be the best video series ever. I think we <laughs> joked around at the office about something similar to that. Like, yeah, let's go back to the flannel. Let's go back to the heavy wool, <laughs> do something like that. But it's like, yeah, if you gave people these sort of optics had back in the day, throw them into somebody's environment and, you know, see who comes up on top. Obviously experience, yeah. It's definitely going to matter in that, but it's like, yeah, the, the gear we have nowadays is amazing, but still you got to always weigh out the decision. Like, do you read the best of the best at first? But I like to say like cry, cry once, you know, where that saying is like, oh, yeah, buy the best, cry just once. Yeah. But still, you have to definitely know how to work some of these tools. Otherwise, yeah, you're just buying a big paperweight in your backpack all the time. If you don't know how to use it and it's sitting there. Yeah. Interesting, man. I think that's really good insight. Um, this goes right along with that. So you can maybe answer this or, or we, we basically did right. Chalice Wilson one, um, when hunting mule deer, are you packing uh 15 power binos and a 65 or an 85? We clearly discussed that, but yep. my, here, here's my, my, uh, one B question to that is does anything change when you're just hunting mule deer versus elk? Yeah, the, t- the times I've, you know, obviously I don't elk hunt that often, but I still have packed binos. I still pack my 12s on my chest just to pick them around. And even this last year in New Mexico, I constantly had a, a spotting scope on me the whole time. Even though I could, I, I could easily tell, yeah, that's a six-point bull on this unit we should go after with my binos. It's still fun and sometimes nice to, like I said, pick something up with a spotter, even in that low-light situation. Is that something we can go after in the morning? And I feel like, yeah, no matter what it is, mule deer, elk, I'm always going to have binos, most likely always 12 by 50s, 
and then always a spotting scope. Those are just, I think, the staples that you kind of need to have for anything. Antelope hunting, I think, is the same way. Obviously, sheep hunting, it's like those are two pieces of gear that I think you can invest money in and then see an outcome once you become a really, you know, sufficient glasser and put dedication behind like, yeah, I'm not going to take a nap right now. I should be glassing mm-hmm. in the middle of the day. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, you talked earlier about weight and a lot of these questions get into, you know, some of the weight of your gear and stuff like that. Um, let's see, what's the best way to go at this? Um, what is your, well, this isn't anybody's question, but what is your like early season pack weight? Early season pack weight. Good question. Uh, I would say early season is probably around that like 50 pound mark. Is that with, a, including... with a 115? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it, it still is. I, but I, I, I actually have my like October gear list pulled up right here. I know this last year I put out an article on October gear list to kind of modify it a little bit before I went out. But I do believe everything I carried, this is including pack, sleeping gear, you know, all the clothing, optics, the weapon is included in this because I always throw my weapon, you know, on my backpack as I'm hiking in, and uh, pretty much everything. It came out to 61 pounds. What is that's that? On an, that's on like a mid-October. You know, it's going to snow. I do have a, uh, you know, obviously I split some stuff up with a friend. He carried the the titanium stove. I carried the teepee. So we're all kind of splitting some gear there a little bit. But yeah, 61 pounds for like a, you know, good cold, snowy. You need some survival gear. You need a lot of extra warmth. And that was pretty much what I carried. And it, you know, it usually works pretty well. It sucks carrying it in because it is heavy. Like I said, I do carry was my rifle weigh like 13 pounds i was was gonna ask you if it was probably 12 be my guess yeah it's so it's a it's a heavy weapon but again i say like that's such a stable platform for for me that i don't mind carrying a heavy weapon because my weapon has one purpose when i'm out there as to make a one-shot kill and to me i can lay behind that gun and just kill anything with it yeah so that's why the optics are essential because they're heavy but i need to find things and then a weapon has to kill so it's like those two things do weigh out a lot and that's why, like, every time I do these, like, random gear lists that I throw out there with the downloadable Excel sheet, I try to help people out by giving you graphics to kind of utilize. So, like, basically on my gear list, I can break out what's the weight of my optics, what's the weight of my weapon, the gear, the water, food, camping. And, and then you can start to see, like, in a pie chart, like, hey, my optics are 20% of my pack weight. <laughs> maybe, I can, maybe I could, like, maybe. modify that a little bit. <laughs> You know, like right now I'm looking at it. Yeah, optics are 20% and my weapon, and that includes, you know, ammo and other things in the weapon to bipod, that sort of thing is 19% of my backpack weight. So right there, just between optics and weapon, that's almost 40% of the weight that I carry in the backcountry. Yeah. Does that include the binos on your chest? That includes binos on my chest as well. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's still weight on my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm, interesting. I'd love to see one of those breakdowns of my own stuff. Um, it, it'd be similar, right? My, I've never packed a 13 pound rifle and I'm definitely never going to pack a 115 back there, but, um, you're, you're like, you, you know, what it reminds me of Brady is you're like the extreme FOC guys, right? You're like, you're, oh, yeah, you're exactly. extreme, <laughs> you're extreme optic optics, uh, of center or whatever you want to call it. Like your pack weight is all up in your optics. Yep. Everything in my, everything in my backpack is aimed to kill something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about pulling your, like a sleep system out of there? Uh, someone Christ, Christ, not Jesus, the Christ, C R I C E Christ five, nine. 
um, is asking weight of early season, early season sleep system. Do your early and your, what's your October there? And then does it change any for your early season? Definitely does. I think back in the day when I was doing a strictly archery early season gear list, this is like Colorado, Nevada, um, even like one of my Wyoming hunts in early September, I think I could actually get it down underneath five pounds if I remember right. That's your mid season? That's the early season. Er, early season, okay. Yep, and that's so that's like going super ultra light, you know, a one man tent using, you know, a carbon fiber arrow as some of my poles and then use my trekking poles as the main <laughs> pole in the front, you know, and that's a quilt. You're pulling and, one you're pulling one of your spare arrows for your uh for your support. Yeah, you never know where you're gonna miss, you know, that's a junk arrow. <laughs> yeah. So so it's like there's there's definitely good ways in the early season to sacrifice stuff. And I always say too, like that's when I carry, you know, a forty degree quilt that I can just throw over my body. I have a you know, one of those half body sleeping pads because I can just throw my backpack down on my feet if my feet do get cold. And I have all this other gear I'm always bringing anyway. Like I have a down jacket, you know. I have some other layers. Like if I do get cold at night, like I can just throw those on and and suffer through it like hunting is not supposed to be you know like you're staying at a hotel like mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a little bit of struggle because that just makes it fun at the end and so it's like you can cut things down in the early season where then once it gets a little later then you're you know throwing a little bigger you know heavier either teepee a stove that sort of thing and that's when things get a little more you know weight like obviously heavy so like my late my later season stuff like october and even november sometimes my sleep system's right at like seven pounds yeah, I mean, you know, when I think of the early season, it's it's you, there's a lot more room to take risk, so to speak, right? Like, yep. and, and that's what you're saying because I mean, how bad can it possibly get in, say, especially if it's like August, right? Nevada, those bow hunts we used to go on in Nevada, like, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? It's going to absolute thunder and lightning and rain for 12 hours straight. Right. And then that, and then it's going to break and it's going to be 85 degrees the next day. Um, exactly. Whereas like you don't need a lot of that gear. Last time of year. Yeah. And you know, you get in a bad spot there and you hunker down for a night or whatever. And you know, you suffer through it and you wake up the next day. Now your late October, November type hunts or whatever. Like, you know, if you're hiking into the back country in Idaho on, you know, the 28th of October, uh, it can go south real quick to the point where, you know, you're risking your life a little bit and you can't screw around with that kind of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where too, some of this gear that I take in this later season hunts that actually have so many multiple purposes. Like that's why I always take, you know, some sort of teepee with a titanium stove, because as you know, like, especially, you know, Wyoming, Idaho, some of this water in the high country doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. And, and so like, if I get a snowstorm, I bank on hopefully getting snow and try to like, if I can move my schedule around to hunt when there's going to be snow, that snow that's either up there or going to be falling, I can take that water. snow and then melt it. Yeah, and make a bunch of water through it with my titanium yeah. stove. So it's like I don't have to drop elevation. I don't have to carry extra water. I'm literally using that stove also to dry out if I need to, but also then helps me melt water every night. And as you know, water's everything in the high country. Yeah, yeah, and just I mean, at, at that stage of the of the year, being able to come back and like you said, dry <clears throat> dry your clothes out and warm your body up. Um, you know, even though it doesn't, it's not a sacrifice for a, a weaker sleeping bag necessarily. Um, you, you know, cause those things don't rip and burn all night, but, um, just that hour in the evening or hour in the morning before you get up, that's, it's just a game changer, like completely. Yeah, I, I, 
I will throw something out there, though. Sometimes it's very difficult if you're going to wake like, oh, yeah, I'm going to wake up an hour beforehand, crank that stove in the morning. It makes it very difficult to wake up. You're like, man, it's really toasty in here. I'm not going to go out in that brutally cold weather. <laughs> yeah. Two-edged sword. Yeah, um, and as you know, I'm not a morning person to begin with, so it's always a struggle waking up. Yeah. When I was texting you, what did you say? You're like, I was like, oh, how about, you know, six in the morning or something like that? Is that too early? And you're like, oh, geez, I'm just going to bed at one in the morning. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I literally get home from the gym usually at 1130 midnight. Oh, and it's man. Like, Living those college yeah. hours, man. I know. Still got it. <laughs> You're married. You, you guys don't, you have a kid yet? Uh, no, uh, that's a funny story. Uh, I'm actually uh, going to be single here soon. Okay. Uh, yep. That's something I'm totally fine talking about too. Okay. It's, it's just part, part of life. Yeah. You, uh, you heard it here first. Uh, sorry. I didn't, <laughs> didn't mean to uncover that. <laughs> no, it's all good. I haven't, I haven't told a lot of people yet. It's just like one of those things you just got to deal with. So yeah. it'll be, it'll be good. It'll be good in the long run. Well, it usually is, man. Um, you know, I, I, I struck the lottery with my wife. Um, and if she ever left me, I would be crushed. <laughs> so, um, I can't, can't relate, but I can sympathize a little bit and just, you know, like you said, it'll, uh, it's, it's happening for a reason. That's for sure. But, exactly. Yep. Oh, on to more exciting thing or more, uh, yeah, so let's more talk about, let's talk about gear. Let's talk about optics, let's talk about everything. <laughs> no. Positivity. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned a quilt, a backcountry quilt, and this one's always enticed me. Um, I've never had the courage to like, just do it. Cause I'm, I don't know why, like, here's what's stupid Brady. So I hear quilt and I'm like, Oh, these guys are going to get up there and freeze. Well, here's what I end up doing is I'll take my zero degree sleeping bag everywhere I go. And, and I'm talking like Nevada, you know, where we hunted in Nevada, I would take yep. my zero degree bag up there and I would, guess what I would do? I would unzip that thing and use it as a, like a open quilt at night. Cause it's, you know, 50 degrees or whatever. Yep. Um, so the question for me, and, and honestly, the question that was asked here, marsh looks like marsh to mountains outdoors. I don't know what that rest of that is, but. Um, kind of what's the temperature range of those quilts versus like the temperature range of your sleeping bag? Yeah. So I, I have two different quilts. I believe I have a sea to summit, uh, 40 degree quilt. And that one pretty much is almost like a blanket. It's not really, there's not a lot of foot box on the bottom of mine. And obviously it's open in the bottom. So it's pretty much, you can just, you get hot, you open it up, you can kind of close it back together to hold some of that heat in. And then the other one I have is a Western Mountaineering that actually has a footbox. So it's kind of like a hybrid quilt. It's a footbox on the bottom, and it's kind of sewed, I don't know what it is, a foot, foot and a half up the bottom. And obviously the bottom's open again. And so the best way I've always found is I always shove my sleeping pad inside my quilt. And that way, basically, you know, I'm protected on the bottom. I have the insulation barrier of a sleeping pad. But then again, I could just take that out and sleep with that um, quilt on top if I want to have more room before I get hot in it. But like the temperature rating, so both of them are different. The Western Mountaineering is like 25 degrees. And I have found, actually have gotten cold in the Western Mountaineering because there's no uh, there's no hood on most of these quilts. Mm. And so like I will have to go to bed, like either wearing some of my, you know, my base layers or I'll throw like a beanie on at night just so my head's not freezing cold. But then I'm also like a side sleeper. So I do try to like sleep on my side, kind of curl up in the beetle position and kind of like throw a quilt over my head. So you're definitely, you're going to get some drafts on the bottom. That's why I said like the sleeping pad's going to help. 
but I do believe you can actually get by fairly comfortably. Like you said, nights aren't that long. And again, you have layers on. I, most of the time I'm always carrying around down pants. I could put those down pants on if I do get cold and just make that gear, like gear kit lighter. Like if I can make that lighter there, maybe I can take some more food in other areas. And then that food will also warm me up, you know, and, and just be more energized. And so the quilt is a good option, but like I would start to avoid my quilt like that late September. Mm. That's when I definitely want to ditch a quilt because I did that once in Wyoming elk hunting. <laughs> and it was, pre- it was pretty cold that late September in a quilt. And that was that 25 degree quilt too. So pros and cons, but you're saving saving weight and you want to be mobile all the time. And that quilt just takes up so much less space in your backpack. That's another big benefit of it. So are you, like you sleep on your side, are you tucking that? underneath the side that's on your pad or are you yep. just skin skin to pad uh yeah just basically yeah shoving that shoving that sleeping pad right inside the uh because usually there's like cords underneath the quilt or there's like little butt like little clips you can like clip them together and so i just shove it right in there and then yeah just a little bit of base there's on top of that mm-hmm. and then my quilt's just right over top of me i got you Huh. It's interesting me. I'm, I'm kind of a stomach sleeper. And so early season, like I said, I don't think that would be a problem. Um, but man, you're just roasting with that zero degree bag. Oh, but I, <laughs> like I'm a, I, running out of food and freezing to death is like my two biggest things, you know, it's like my, mm-hmm. and that's just in real life. Like I hate being cold and I hate like, bro, if I go on like a, like I have a 40 minute commute into work and I almost pack like snacks into my work, you know, cause I'm like paranoid when I go on a road trip, like a real road trip down to trade shows and stuff, it takes me about one town to be like, yeah, no, I'm going to stop in here at the gas station. I come out with a hot chocolate and a Gatorade and an energy drinks. And I've got 14 things of snacks and I'm like, you know, just like, I don't know what it is, but, and I'm the same way in the back country. Um, just like, I would way rather be a little too warm and unzip that thing. And, and I, I have, I've had nights where I sit and sweat, but I'm like, who cares? Like, you know, I'd rather have that. I, you know, where I grew up, like I'd rather be the hot, you know, sweating a little you know, bit than freezing. I hate freezing, but yeah. And, but the, the only other benefit too, I think is like a real sleeping bag has, like I've done a lot of hunts where I'm just like too exhausted sometimes to hike all the way back. Like to a spot where I might camp at night up on top of a ridge to glass. I'll be like, well, I'm in this basin. I'm super tired. It's already way late in the evening, whatever, you know, four hours after dark. I'm just hiking in the dark. And it's like, I'm just going to dig out a little mule deer bed right here and throw my sleeping bag down and just sleep. And like, you can do that a lot easier and a lot more comfortable with the regular, like, you know, full length mummy bag. And then I can feel like, yeah, I'm going to be warm. You know, I'll, hopefully it won't rain on me, but if it does, I'll you know, make some decisions here. <laughs> but like a lot of times it's like that super steep terrain where I know I have to keep going up there. Where I'm just like, man, I'm just, I'm just spent right now. And I just want to find a little flat spot just for my sleeping bag. Yeah. Yeah. And you're enclosed and yeah. Yeah. I need to get it early season. Just mess around with it. But, um, Oh, uh, Mark Smith, my, my good buddy, you know, Mark. Um, oh yeah. Mule deer slayer. The muley slayer. Yep. It was good to, it's good to see everybody at that trade show again after a couple of years. But, um, he is stove shopping. And so he wants to know what the best backcountry stove is. Um, you know, I had used a jet boil for years. There's some controversy there. So when mine kind of gave up the ghost, I switched over to an MSR wind burner. Wind burner. Yep. That's the exact one I've been using for a lot of years and it's a little heavier, Yeah. 
but that thing will light all the time. And it had those little, like, you know, kind of like baffles on the side that kind of protects you from wind a little bit. Yep. And that thing just crushes. Like it is so like even to like, I like we get some of these old, like I have a, you know, jet oil sole titanium that sometimes I use. But the problem with some of those like titanium cups, you start to melt a lot of snow in them. And you're trying to use your burner to melt snow. They burn. Those little like, there's, those little, like filters on the bottom of it. They're just like the titanium is just melting away on it, yep. and you're ended up like tearing apart your stove. So that's kind of why I went away from titanium for a little bit, and I have that wind burner, and it just literally crushes the mountains all the time. Like, have you have you ever had with that wind burner? Have you ever had issues with it seeping gas when you go to light it, and it like it doesn't light just in the stove? It like whoo, catches like a flame. Honestly, I've never had that happen. Okay, I think I'm it's. Trying to, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think. Are you like at super high elevation and it's cold out and it's just uh, leaking around there right before you're gonna light it? Maybe. I mean, nothing, nothing cr- like just normal backpacking elevations. Yeah, you know, nine yeah. to twelve thousand feet, um, and not nothing crazy cold. Like I'm trying to think of the last. Like it did it to me in Colorado this last year. You know, just in September. Oh, huh, um, that's super interesting. I I think it's just my personal stove, maybe a bad seal, or I'm you know I just have to like crank that thing down and keep that seal super snug. Um, and if mm-hmm. I, you know, cause you just get threading it on and you're like, Oh, it's there. And if I just kind of don't think about it, it'll every time it'll, uh, it'll catch a little, I don't know. I haven't mentioned anything to MSR or whatever, but I was just curious if anybody else had huh. had that problem. But that's interesting. That stuff's solid. Yeah. Other than that, that's what I was going to say. All the stuff you said, like totally concur after using that for a couple of years, like freaking love it. Um, the way it packs a mini, a mini fuel can into itself, um, oh, save, yeah. save some weight, right? And just like, it's super, super intuitive little, little, uh, stove, but. Yeah. And, and again, too, it comes down to bulk. Like you'd rather put a fuel canister inside everything, have it all contained. Cause that's just some extra space in your backpack. That's just, yeah. you know, doesn't need to have a big giant <laughs> fuel canister for it. Like most, most people like. If you do this enough, you'll realize those little small fuel canisters, whatever size they are, those 110 gram fuel, like that'll get you by a whole you, week. Easy. You can't, you can't run it out. I don't, I don't drink coffee, but I'm sure like, like you said, a whole week, even burning a little coffee. The thing with those, those, these stoves now is they're like four times faster than the old, um, like pocket rockets we used to run, you know? Yeah. Cause it, that, that was just burning so much extra, like flames into the environment. It wasn't like direct heat right. in the areas you need to, and what was, wasn't protected and contained. Right. Right. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if you ever made this mistake, but with those, like the old jet boil, when that was separate from my, my, uh, fuel can in my backpack, it was usually like I would, I, cause I'm the guy like I'll get to camp, I'll unload everything. And then I'll put like one day's worth of food in my pack, like the night before or whatever. So then I just wake up and I have like everything, right. My breakfast, my lunch, my snacks, my dinner for that night, right? So that if I get like, you know, way out at the end of whatever, two miles from camp and it's, you know, a couple hours after dark or I kill something or whatever. Um, and I would, every once in a while, I would do that and that would actually happen where I would like go out and I would be like, okay, I, I'm going to eat my dinner, uh, my freeze dry. And I forgot to throw my freaking fuel can in. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, well, no, I'm not going to eat my dinner. Um, but that, that's what I'm saying. That MSR is nice because you just, boom, you grab it, and it's all, your whole kit's in there. So. Yep, everything's nice and self-contained. Yep. Uh, this was an interesting question. I thought AK DeKine would be my guess, uh, 81. Which garment do you, and he's, 
he says garment, but I just want you to answer holistically. Like what piece of gear do you replace or upgrade the most often? Oh, piece of gear upgrade or replace most often. Dang, that's a tough one. Mm. I feel like I have it pretty well dialed. And yeah, I upgrade things here and there year to year. Um, maybe the, the biggest thing right now is just uh, like footwear. You know, I feel like I constantly am just trying out different footwear, see what works, if I can go, you know, light again, if I can get by with an uninsulated boot, or if I do need something 200 grams, 400 grams. <laughs> you and your basketball shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, like, yeah, that's a, that's a hard one to buy. Besides for that, like, optics are pretty well dialed. I usually try to say the same thing optic-wise. Uh, well, boots pretty much the same. May, maybe answer it specific to his question. I think he's asking about clothing. Like, is there a specific, like piece of your layering system of clothing that you are constantly upgrading nowadays or i mean even that stuff like i bet you don't like no not not a whole lot the only, the only thing i'd ever do maybe is there's a new updated like reindeer that's going to be lighter that's still going to you know keep me totally dry and compactable and still durable i might consider changing how about gear i i know what piece of gear you change the most it's your food i bet yeah, yeah, food. Food. I, I definitely switch back and forth between you know stoveless and going with the stove and trying to figure out you know how can I get the highest calories per ounce with you know the least amount of effort because as I'm sure you've heard me say before, food is fuel, not fun to me. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not, not the guy who's bringing snacks. I'm not the guy who has a big laid out meal. It's just yeah, whatever I can get in my my stomach that has the highest calories a lot of fats you know some some carbs and some proteins like i'm a happy guy that is absolute blasphemy and i'm gonna edit this out okay food Dude, don't you remember back in the day like you hunt more successful when you hunt hungry is that how they did it way back <laughs> yeah. in the day yeah <laughs> so you know i'm taking i'm taking some you know history lessons and i'm using that to well, incorporate in my food list it's not that you hunt hungry like i've seen what you pack you pack the calories it's the variety that you don't bring like you're just like a bar for three of the four meals a day and it's like the same bar and it's like the every same exact bar yeah i know i love that pro bar whatever it is peanut butter chocolate chip like that's my staple that's the same thing every single day <laughs> the same exact green belly meal when i want to go ultra lightweight every single day yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i'm even i'm even cool with when i do carry freeze-dried having the same exact freeze-dried meal for most of the time i might switch it up just to the do something different because I like having, you know, a good B and G biscuits and biscuits and gravy every now and then after I kill something. Like oh, that's a good man. meal to me. Isn't that the freaking peak biscuits and gravy is just like, Oh, it's so good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you never, never thought you could have diner quality. It's better. Biscuits and gravy it's in the better. Yeah, it's, honestly, it could be better. It's like, it's got some spice to it, like pepper in there. And it's like, it's better. I, one, 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 one hot tip is carry one little small packet of, Tapateo or Cholula? That was my tip. I was just going to give you that tip. That's where did you learn that from me? Or does great great mind sing alike, man? I walked by your camp that one night and saw that sitting there. Man, that's a smart fella. You can smell my my expended uh, Tapateo. uh, Yep. Yeah, they're hard to come by. Those Tapateo. You basically have to order them on Amazon um, or like a some Mexican restaurants will have them or whatever. But um, dude, you drive that. Hey. That I can vouch for that, man. You drop that thing in a thing of uh, in a pack of biscuits and gravy from Peak, like holy freak, man! Get ready for a ride. You, you, 
for, for me, I only can use one because I've tried two before and then just my whole meal just tastes like hot sauce. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, that's funny. Um, uh, Logan, uh, my buddy Logan, I don't know how he pronounced it. Logan Tows or uh, anyway. Uh, he, you, you mentioned going stoveless and that was like your big thing a few years ago. You shook everybody up when you went stoveless. Um, are you still going stoveless? I do flip back and forth quite often. Like in the summer when I'm doing my scouting trips and I want to carry the BTX, I want to still be light and fast <laughs> and not have to worry about water or anything like that. I do go stoveless because it's early season. Like to me, yeah, there is comfort in coming back and making the hot meal. But also if, if I can just eat really quickly and go to bed, that's more energy I'm saving, more time I'm sleeping for the morning so I can just glass all day. Because when I'm scouting, I don't like to take a nap during the middle of the day. Yeah, I probably eventually get tired, maybe take a 30, 40-minute nap. But it's like I'm out there for business to find beer. And so to me, it's like I can just skip a meal in the evening. I can go to bed sooner. The nights are already super long and just get my food in me and be prepared for the next day. How- so it's, it's definitely a mental, it's a mental thing a lot. But to me, again, food is fuel, not fun. So it's like all the things I do in the stove list, like the big protein shakes with the mass gainer, you know, everything else added to it. It's just, it is, it's fun to sit there and, and, and drink that. And though I don't have to, I don't have to hurry up and eat this. I can actually drink my half my day's food while I'm glassing yeah. and just enjoy that part of it. And so like, it's, it's, it's tough. Definitely. I would, I would always suggest people to try this out at home first. Or go on like a weekend trip, or like yeah, I'm gonna try it for one day because it is different. Like there's no joke, it's it's very very different to try out. But it's like I'm also saving that water. Yeah, I have to make the water for the protein shake, the mass gainer stuff. But again, it's just saving a little bit of lightweight or weight so I can just go faster, go deeper because I want to check out that next basin. I want to go one more basin further. I'm like I'm already here. Let's go two more. You know, and all of a sudden I realize I'm so far away from my truck. But it's like that's the time of year that I just need to check everything off the list for later in the later in the fall yeah the only you know the only advice i would give somebody is um you know and this is obvious and you didn't you didn't mean it this way but you know if you got some freaking new stove right you go even if it's this msr wind burner whatever like the summer scouting trips for me are a lot of times where i'll screw around with that kind of stuff that might be a little heavier or you know different than i've normally packed around or whatever and i'll go Hey, I'm just going to, you know, use this new stove and see how I like it. Or I'm going to, you know, try this new peak refuel, or I'm going to try this, you know, mountain house or whatever the heck it is. Um, but yeah, you want to, you want to know what that does your body. Like, you know, one of these like chili Mac things, like if you've never (laughs) had a chili Mac, you can take that out there and you brought five of those like, Oh, I love chili, you know, at home. And it's like, no, you probably should try it first. (laughs) Just don't. I, I gave uh I gave my buddy Alex that works at Peak a hard time. Um just don't post the picture of you sitting on the back of your tailgate out in your front yard. Um, you know, hashtag peak refuel and in the backcountry or whatever and posting up a picture of you sitting on your tailgate um eating your peak. <laughs> just just keep it to yourself, right? It's fine. Exactly. It's fine to burn. That's another thing that's making the rounds lately that just makes me shake my head a little bit. <laughs> It's fine to eat a peak refill at home. Just don't post about it. Exactly. We've all uh, done it. I've been lazy at home and like, sure, I'll crack one of those open. I need to eat it. Like, but yeah, you don't have to show the world. Oh, gosh. Uh, one of the most important questions I've ever uh, seen on here, elk underscore junkie. 
Toilet paper or wet wipes? I'll bet it's TP for you because of the weight. Oh, oh my gosh, this is this is the best topic <laughs> in the world. Okay, so I don't pamper my backside. <laughs> you're there for all, you're there for business. There for business. Okay. So what I learned this year, I was out in Idaho. You know, I I packed a larger roll than I do normally. I actually weigh out my exact toilet paper. I know exactly what I need for a full week. But I was like, it's going to be late season. Hold on, hold cold. on, hold on. You're what? You're like weighing, or you're counting the squares? I actually take it and will full on weigh it. Normally, it's right around uh, like an ounce for a full week. How, One ounce. How does that account for what? <laughs> hey man, my body what is, you... knows what it needs to do and doesn't doesn't ever want to upset what, me. It just knows. If, I was going to say, what if it goes off page? You've never had a, an incident or anything. <laughs> What no, if, no, my my body's pretty well dialed. That's just it. That's that's why I always say too. If you always train your body like you're in the mountains all the time, if we're always, you know, they always joke at me that I'm always dehydrated when I'm at the office because I constantly <laughs> drink coffee all day. So I'm always dehydrated. Normally, when I go in the mountains, being dehydrated doesn't affect me because my body's just used to that. Oh my! So yeah, the, the whole the teepee reverse wet wipes. I was in Idaho. I was I packed a little bit more teepee this year because I was like, well, I'm going to use that for fire starter later on. <laughs> I ended up needing a lot of fire starter because it was so cold and so snowy. And we're constantly, you know, making fires during the day to stay warm. At night, use the stove to, uh, you know, make more make more water. And I ran out of some of my uh, fire starting stuff, the whole Vaseline so cotton balls. Mm-hmm. So I was using a lot of my teepee. Eventually, I got to the end. I was like, hey, Luke, he's my camera guy. He's like, you got a bunch of teepee because we might need to use your teepee to, to burn stuff later. It's like, well, no, I have wet wipes. I'm like, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, wet wipes are the greatest thing ever. And I'm like, you know, those don't burn, right? Like, we can't use those as a fire starter if we need to. And he's like, no, I never know that. So he's like, maybe you should start using some of my wet wipes so we can save some of the teepee. And I was like, all right. He's like, you ever, he's like, you ever done before? I'm like, no, I've never tried wet wipes in my entire life. I don't pamper my backside. And so I tried it. I walked back to him. This is getting a lot of details here, yeah. but I, I tried it. And I walked back and I'm like, that was the weirdest experience in my life. I never want to be a part of that ever again. It was just, it just was, was wrong to me. Just absolutely wrong. And I was like, we're coming back here next time. You're bringing TV because that's something we can burn later on where wet wipes don't serve a purpose at all in this world. I don't even know why people have them. Yeah, man, that's, that's my story. I'm sticking oh to it. God. Well, first of all, <clears throat> let me collect myself. When you use a, when I use a wet wipe, Especially like in the back country, which is basically the only, I, let's be honest. I've used them at home when, when stuff goes south real quick, you know, or real bad. Yeah. But yeah. you, you get the advantage, especially at home is you can follow it up with a dry wipe, right? That's like the, that's, that's like the magic of it is like, man, you get that. And then it's like, then you follow it up with a, <laughs> with a dry. But in your case, that would be counterintuitive because you're trying to save um, the dry stuff anyway. And so, yeah. Um, Man, yeah, it is a different experience. And if that's all that you had, then that's, like I said, that's not, I don't think how it's designed. I don't know. There are guys, I'm sure, but that's how I've always done it in the backcountry is I'll pack like a small little Ziploc of those. And it's like, you know, it's like a, it's like one of those and then follow it up with a dry wipe. (laughs) I can't believe we're talking so much. Yeah. And this is the funny thing too. Like I said, I weigh out my toilet paper. Oh my god! To gosh. the point where some of my camera guys are like, oh yeah, you got toilet paper for me? And I just assumed 
that's what more people did. They're like, yeah, we want to save weight. We're gonna. So I gave him the exact amount of toilet paper that I had when show up the trailhead, and he laughed at me. He's like, you got any extra toilet paper in the truck? And luckily I did. But he's like, all right, Brady, you can pack my food for me on these hunts, do all this stuff, but you were never in charge of my toilet paper ever again. I was like, this seems like something. If you're going to fly, come out to hunt with us, you should probably just bring your own toilet paper because I'm going to go minimalist on the TV. That's, that is a net, that's a, like four levels up, man. That's so, yeah, I'm the guy that's in the bathroom like the day before I leave, just like winding a half a roll onto my hand because I'm the same. I'm like, it's like, what are we talking about? A half ounce? It ain't worth it, man. I know. It's, it's, it, that's the thing that, like, yeah, I'll, I'll usually people can make fun of me for it. Why am I saving this stupid weight? But again, I carry a bunch of other heavy stuff that's going to get the job done. So, yeah, whatever. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, I always love that topic, even though it's like you have <laughs> too many details. It's, it's, so it's a fun one. I'm guessing, too, and I already know the answer to this, but you're not like you don't have any sort of uh, self-hygiene cleaning mechanism or system out there either, right? I mean, you're no, just, I'm, yeah. the, I'm the dirtiest mountain hippie like <laughs> ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I mean, I'm the same way for the most part. I don't I, I could go one pair of boxers for 15 days and I'd be <laughs> totally cool. Yeah, that's whittled down for me too. I used to be paranoid, like I'd pack, you know, three pairs of underwear for a week long hunt. And now it's like I can go 10 days and I might pack one extra pair of bottoms, you know, just like. Yeah, I always keep extras in the truck in case you kill or your friend kills and you got to pack a deer down. And yeah, you got to have something back there. But yeah, Yeah. eventually when you keep doing this enough, you realize what you can get by with, what you need for safety, what's too much, what's too little. And you just got refining it. And that's why, like, I always say for people, like, it's so important to keep a gear list, even though it might be silly and, yeah, well, I need to add weights to everything, but it just keeps you on track. It helps you pack your stuff. It helps everything. It's just like you figure out what works and what doesn't work. Listen, and I'm – that's going to burn me pretty here pretty quick because I've done this so many times, uh, Brady. I'm at the point where um, I don't I, – I was that guy, I, I was doing that, right? I had this list, and I even would print them off, and I'd check everything, and I was paranoid, right? And I've done it so many times now where I find myself literally like the night before I'm going to get up and leave the next morning, I'm in here just throwing all my stuff in my backpack and like not accounting, technically accounting for it. Like I'm like, yeah, I think my headlamps are in there. Boom, like I throw this, you know, and it's going to get me. <laughs> it's going to get oh, me. It, it, I did, used to do the same thing. I was like, yeah, this tote right here, this is all my early season gear kit, whatever. I have my optics in there. I have all set up. That's why I try not to pack too early sometimes because I have thoughts in my head like, did I forget this? I forget this. Yeah. But one time I actually went on a scouting trip, had all my stuff ready to go, just grabbed that tote through my truck, didn't throw anything in my backpack. I don't I can't remember if it was like a backpack scouting trip. But I get out there, I realized I forgot my bino adapter. <laughs> so now I'm trying to, you know, figure out a way to mount my binos to my tripod so I can sit there in glass. Obviously I have my spotter still, but it's like, man, I just felt like naked without my bino adapter. Like I want to mount these binos on a tripod and just dissect some stuff. <laughs> duct tape them. Do you bring, yep. do you bring duct tape anywhere? Uh, I will throw some like, you know, gorilla style tape and some electrical tape on some trekking poles. Yeah. Yep. Just in case I break something or, you know, anything random goes wrong. But that's why I just wrap them around there and use that stuff still for attaching tags to yep. meat or antlers or whatever the state regs are. And, yeah, Corey. Be- Corey- actually, I, actually, I used a bunch of duct tape before to uh, help someone's knee when they blew out their knee. We basically just <laughs> wrapped the knee fully with all the tape we could find. Really? Nursed our way out. Oh yeah, and we broke a trekking pole on the way out too because he was leaning so much on the opposite 
leg, that snapped a trekking pole. Then we had to use more tape from his knee to help fix the trekking pole. Or, Holy cow. Yeah, it was, a, it was an ordeal. So you, ne- you never, that's why you always got to, you know, plan for the best, prepare for the worst. Yep. Yeah, Corey Beckendorf, he taught me that little trick of just wrapping some duct tape around a trekking pole and it lived there for years and years and years and nothing ever happened. And then all of a sudden it was like, so- I can't remember what happened. I, Oh, I know what it was. <clears throat> I ripped a freaking hole in the arm of my, uh, uh, puffy jacket. Right. And just like down would have, I mean, going it, oh, just snowing. going everywhere, snowing. <laughs> and I, like, I got, you know, it's like, it's like you're, it's like you hit an artery in your leg or whatever. And you're like, oh gosh. And then I, I got control of it and, I'm like, what in the heck do I, and I look down, there's my trekking pole with some duct tape around it. And I peeled off, you know, six inches and seamed it up. But, um, yeah, you can't, can't ever go wrong packing a little duct tape around, but, oh man, what a good conversation. I'm getting so jacked up for backpack hunting. Um, it's an addiction that's hard to, hard to scratch without just constantly wishing it was the season, man. It's, that's why sometimes it's a bummer. You go to shows in the, in the winter, you see all your friends again, talk hunting. And it's like, wow, we still got a ways to go boys before we're back out in the mountains. Yeah. You step out of those trade shows and you come back and you're like, okay. You know, and we had like 52 degree weather last Saturday and you're just like, okay, like this is it, man. Like I am over this. Let's go. Why can't it be like 4th of July already? And then, it, you know, and then it's negative three right now. And you're just like, ah, man, like, geez, I don't know if I can, how much longer I can take. Yeah. Where's spring bear at? Come on. Yeah. Spring bear. You know, and I do, I, I got a couple good spots up here that my buddies have been, uh, kind enough to point me towards cause I'm the worst bear hunter ever, but. And that's like mule deer hunting. Yeah. Right. Just spotting and stalking and you got to. Spot stock and struggle. Yeah. Find the open green grass. And the problem I would have with them last year is they're just moving, right? It was like getting close to June, I think, or middle of June. And they were kind of roaming, looking for sows, I think. And like, God, I just couldn't, could never catch up with a couple of them. But um, enter the 300 Norma because I'm going to, I'm going to catch up with them from wherever You're I catch up with them in some way. Yes, from you wherever are. I glass them from. Uh, what else on here? Anything last, last little deal here. Um, uh, what air mattress are you running? So I've been using the, was it the Neo air Uber light? I believe it's called for quite a few years. Yeah. Let me double check that. Yeah. Thermarest Neo air Uber light. And I just use a regular. So mine's actually not the long, I technically should have a long version, but I'm just, again, thinking I'm saving a little bit of weight <laughs> and it's whatever my feet I can, I can deal with it. So that one's actually worked really, really well. I did pop one really? finally after using it for like three years, and that was freaking miserable. Is that lighter than the like the yellow crunchy one that I have, the uh, Thermarest? What is that one? Oh, the X, the X Lite. X Lite. I believe it is. I think mine's roughly like nine ounces. And mine's what, like twelve, something like that. Probably yeah, around that. Yeah, maybe even eleven. Like it, they're 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 not bad at all. But I think. This one is an updated version of that in a way. It's not as crinkly. It doesn't sound like that. You know, you're sleeping on a trash bag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, so that's the pad I've been running, and I, I don't really change my pad too much right now from early season to like a mid-season, even a later season. I kind of keep it with that unless I'm trying to cut a ton of weight, and then I use one of those, uh, what is it, one of those like skeleton-looking pads that have all those like holes in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. can't remember what company makes that, but I have one of those. Too. Yeah. It's like if I want to go really crazy. Even for side sleeping? 
Side sleep is not fun on that. No, I definitely <laughs> find a new way to sleep. Yeah. See, I, yeah. And I'm a belly sleeper most of the time. So that would, that would probably work all right. Other than just, you know, the draftiness, I assume you're not running that mid or late season. No, no, I have to definitely cut that. Cause it's like, yeah, I get a, even with these later seasons and have a stove in there, it is nice to have a good sleeping pad because it's just keeping you off the ground. All that ground underneath you is still kind of frozen a little bit. It's just, if you have a better night's sleep, you're going to hunt better in the morning. Let's, let's face it. Even though I do say like, I do enjoy discomfort, but having that stove makes it a little easier to you know get by on late season hunts. Speaking of your stove real quick, what's your like one, like one man, old, what, what's the, the smallest stove? setup that you take for your shelter i that's it I've, I've tried some smaller ones i haven't tried one of those u-turn seek outsides but i had like what was i think called their medium at the time which was basically a really small stove and i didn't really enjoy the small one because yeah it's a little bit lighter and so i've been switching over to their size large which i think it weighs like 50 ounces so it's you know definitely a good hunk of change um, but, the, but the benefit to me with the little bigger stove is I don't have to take as much effort to break a bunch of sticks to fit in the stove. So I can mm-hmm. take a, you know, a stick, put it against a rock, break with my foot. And a lot of times they're going to be that length that fits with the large where they're almost a little bit too long to fit in some of those smaller stoves. Yep. But then again, you can warm yourself up twice where that saying is like, I can, you know, warm myself up cutting a bunch of wood. And then I warm myself later in the teepee, but it's like, I'd rather not use my pack saw if I don't need to. And so a little larger version actually works fairly well just to, you know, keep everything the same to me. I can cut the wood, soak my foot, and then it also pumps up a lot of heat. So I don't, yeah, I probably could go back to a smaller one, but again, that weight savings is pretty minimal. And then you got to stoke the stove a lot more too when you go these smaller routes. Yeah. I don't know if you guys mess with or do anything with Kafaru or if that's, you know, kind of whatever, but. Um, we've been we've been wanting to forever so you got a good connection over there send them our way <laughs> sure i will throw all my weight around um no it's uh they're super tarp so they've got you know what's basically a could be a two-man um but then it's got a little annex and i don't have one yet but man i've been eyeing one for a while um and just like a like a super super tarp with an annex that you can throw a stove in you know, no, those they make badass products, and like I said, like I've never used one personally, but man, yeah, a lot of people love them for good reasons, and they last forever. It's like it's a no-brainer. Yep, yep. Okay, this is the last question, and this is the best one that was on the thing. Um, what this was Sam Johnson. <laughs> um, what is your? This has nothing to do with backpack hunting, by the way. What is your favorite energy drink? <laughs> Favorite energy drink. This is something I was hoping you were going to bring up. Oh, gosh. Okay, but I want to, I want to turn it into a back backcountry thing. Okay. But I'll say my favorite one first. It's a White Monster. Duh. Okay. Any respect? Any respect? Any respectable mule deer hunter has has loves a White Monster. White Monster, yes. But here's the thing: Why can't we create a company? <laughs> take pow- Take that stuff and make it into powder. And then have it in the backcountry. I just add a little bit of water to it somehow. I don't know how you can get the carbonation through that, but that sure is a way. But that way we can have monsters out in the backcountry. Even just, listen, even all it would take is a white monster flavored, like 200 mil energy shot, right? Basically, yeah. basically like certain, you know, some of these companies have their little one, one serving shot with the caffeine in it. 
And all it's got to do is taste like a white monster. You you can have the carbonation. You know, that's kind of a treat for when you're at home. Um, yep. And just put a little Mule Deer logo on it, and you show me where to sign. And I'll be your I'll be your partner. I'll be your investor. I'll be your whatever you want. Yeah, I, I love it the other day. I can't remember. I think you put it up there, like, buying that stuff in bulk. Way smarter <laughs> than buying that individual at a gas that was, station. That was my brother. Win-win. Yeah, my brother. He finds the first step is just admitting that you're going to keep buying them and then you can let yourself uh, be free enough to just buy them on Amazon and get them for $1.83 a piece. Yeah. Is that one of those things you can set up automatic probably on Amazon? Yeah. Every month I need two cases. Like, whoa, this guy's addicted. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What do you rate? Have you rated a white monster lately? Like what do you rate it in your head right now out of 10? Well, to, to me, since it's, it's, it's my main go-to, it's going to be way up there. I would, it's, it's got to be, right. don't be eight shy. and a half to a nine. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you can make it any more perfect besides, for, like I said, slap a Mule Deer logo on it and it's going to sell like hotcakes. If they literally put a Mule Deer on that thing, <laughs> like you won't be able to find that anywhere, anywhere around the West. Yeah. If, in other words, Bucked Up, if Bucked Up could come up with a white monster flavor, like jackpot, that's a billion dollar idea right there. <laughs> Yep, you take, I always get a white monster at a gas station, and it's usually two venison sticks, and I am golden for that drive. <laughs> there you go. Oh my gosh, Brady. Oh, by far, this has been perfect, man. Just like uh, episode 101, uh, kicking back off with just an aw- awesome episode here. So, any, uh, any parting words that, or any gear advice or anything you want to impart on everybody before we go? No, I would just I would just say too, like obviously we're you know talking gear heavy, just don't let gear be the barrier of entry to people getting out hunting. Like you don't need the best best gear to go on a backcountry hunt. Yeah, it's gonna make things comfortable, a little more enjoyable, you might be able to last longer, hunt longer, but it's like just use what you got, upgrade when you can. Okay, so let's finish with this. What's your like you, there's gotta be a prioritization of gear. Like what's the first three places if you just like you say you've been truck hunting your whole life and you're like okay you know what i'm going on a backpack hunt but i've only got x dollars to spend what's the like from one two and three where are you starting i'm going to easily go with the quality backpack okay which is fairly easy to get nowadays there's so many companies that make awesome backpacks specifically for hunting i'll get a hunting one not a non-hunting one because you want to be able to carry meat out definitely going to need some quality boots Boots are going to be everything because, you know, whatever the saying is, five pounds on your feet equals 10 pounds on your back. You know, like boots are going to like every step you make, those boots is very important on the mountain. You don't want to twist anything, get anything hurt, some quality boots. And then uh, probably even just running into sleep system stuff. Like that's going to be your saving grace every single night when you go back and you want to be have a comfortable camp so you can be well rested for the next day. Like you're going to torture yourself every single day, but coming back to a camp where you can sleep you have a good sleeping bag you have a, a good pad it's going to be win-win later on so those are the three main areas i would probably say and then like you know always like rain gear and insulation pieces like you can start to add those later but you can probably get by with some lesser quality stuff right away but those i think those three things will probably keep people in the mountains a lot more and then you know you'll get addicted to it like we all are yeah we didn't talk much about boots but my gosh that can end a hunt the fastest like it, it yep. literally can end a hunt the fastest i've seen I've seen huge ambitions get crushed in overnight just from a hike in and then it's a hike back out because it's done. Like it's over. So. Yep. You, you, once, once you're in there and you get blisters and you get some nasty stuff on your feet and just not work what you needed or you have too hot of boots, like you're going to be miserable the whole time. There's no way getting around it. Yep. We can't hike in our bare feet 
at all. So I guess it's essential to have good quality pair of boots. Brady, you're the man. Thank you so much for coming on. You're backcountry legend, mule deer legend. Keep it up, man. Thanks for uh, imparting your wisdom and your time. And um, yeah, wish you the best of luck in the draws and all that. And let's, uh, yeah, let's circle back before the hunts. Maybe, you know, just, uh, I don't know, scouting or something like that. Opportunity hunts that you can grab up in July when you haven't drawn anything or something like that. Exactly. I could, I could talk your ear off on that stuff. And yeah. it's, it's just super fun to talk about hunting, no matter what it is, gear strategies. It's, it just keeps us going every single day. And that's what, you know, you do really well at bringing the cool guests on, asking the right questions. It's like, it just makes it fun. Yeah. Yep. Appreciate it. Nope. Appreciate you, man. And uh, have a good night. Thanks for coming on. Hey everybody. Thank you for listening to the finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, Make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit FindingBackCountry.com.